Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasnow. Okay, so I do a tremendous amount of research for the interviews that I feature on this podcast. And from time to time, I feel compelled to record videos that summarize longer interviews and consolidates the information in a more concise manner. So this episode features the audio from a recent video. Now, a few months ago, I interviewed Dr. Chris Palmer. Chris is a board-certified psychiatrist, Harvard professor, and author. He recently released a book titled Brain Energy that puts forth a unified theory behind the origins of mental disorders and prescribes revolutionary protocols for treatment. So I found it to be a fascinating book and conversation, so much so that I attempt to summarize many of the points here in this episode. So if you want to go deeper, then I encourage you to listen to the extended conversation with Chris that was released January 19th, 2023. If you're interested in the video version of this episode, well, you can find it and all my podcasts on the Commune YouTube channel, and you can watch many of my summary videos on Instagram at Jeff Krasno. Okay, before jumping in, I'd be remiss if I didn't remind you that if you are interested in functional and integrative medicine-based programs with fantastic doctors like Mark Hyman, Sarah Gottfried, Kara Fitzgerald, Jolene Brighton, and Roger Schwelt on topics such as gut health, sleep, immunity, hormone balancing, Ayurveda, and nutrition, well, you can sign up for 14 days of free all-access to Commune's entire course library, which includes more than 100 courses on health, personal growth, and social impact. Just go to onecommune.com slash trial. And please support this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcatcher. Okay, without further delay, here's today's episode titled, Is Mental Illness a Metabolic Disorder? One of the things that makes this um, topic so confusing and complex is the multitude of diagnoses and categories of diagnoses. So we have the neurological disorders like epilepsy and Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, and then we have a endless host of Neurolo uh, psychiatric disorders like depression, bipolar disorder, PTSD, ADHD, autism, um, forms of addiction, um, even eating disorders can fall under um, that category. But once you begin to unpack the symptoms associated with all of these classifications, it becomes even more confusing because so many of these diagnoses share common symptoms. And it is highly likely that if you have one mental disorder, then you're gonna have other ones. So for depression and bipolar disorder, for example, you have feelings of sadness or emptiness. Um, often you have irritability or angry outbursts, loss of interest in pleasurable um, activities. Uh, sleep is often disturbed. There may be a lack of um, energy, chronic fatigue, certainly anxiety, 
um, slowed thinking and impaired learning, um, feelings of shame and worthlessness, um, sometimes even progressing to kind of suicidal thoughts and at times unexplained physical problems, a heightened um, um, sensation to pain, um, for example, headaches, back pain are prevalent. And then you move into the kind of more serious, uh, you know, psychotic spectrum um, where people are having full force hallucinations. Um, they start taking care of themselves. They become very emotionally unstable. Um, their social behavior becomes um, very, very deviant. So, you know, what you see is this very, very complex matrix of symptoms and different labels that we have lopped on to clusters of symptoms. But what you don't really get is like the root cause. What is the origin of a lot of these disorders? Um, and why does having one lead to many? And why does having one also tend to lead or to be correlated with all of these physiological chronic diseases? So if you are uh, clinically depressed, for example, you are more likely um, to have diabetes or cardiovascular uh, disease or stroke. Um, and it is bidirectional. If you have diabetes, you're three times more likely to have a mental disorder like depression. So what's going on here? Now, we have hit a sort of a stalemate with our standards of care and in terms of their efficacy. Now, that's not to say that some of these treatments don't work. Some of them do. Obviously, psychotherapy has provided a tremendous amount of relief from suffering. Cognitive behavioral therapy, hypnotherapy, et cetera, all forms of talk therapy have been very helpful for some people, but the vast majority of people do not go into remission from psychotherapy. Then, of course, there's the more pharmaceutical approach. There's antidepressants um, like Paxil and Zoloft and the whole category of uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs. They do provide some stability for people sometimes, but they rarely, if ever, uh, address root cause or help anyone go into remission. There's antipsychotics, um, like Thorazine, anti-anxieties, uh, medication like um, most popularly benzodiazepines uh, um, that, that um, upgrade sort of the connection of the GABA receptor and GABA in the cell to, um, to reduce anxiety. But these treatments have proven woefully um, ineffective en masse. I mean, we're talking now about a billion people worldwide uh, being diagnosed with some form of mental disorder. That's one out of every eight people in the world. And in the Western world, that is significantly higher percentage uh, for a host of reasons that, that we'll get to. Um, now, we have yet to really 
fully understand the provenance or origin of many of these mental disorders. Now, there is a generally accepted sort of biopsychosocial theory that combines um, a variety of different reasons why someone might develop a mental disorder from biochemical uh, to psychological to social. Um, and, you know, I've talked to Gabor Mate specifically around the psychosocial dimensions of trauma and how trauma can lead to mental disorders and the relationship between mental disorders and physiological pathologies. Um, but for many, many years, the biochemical um, imbalance theory was postulated um, that, you know, a, a lot of depression at least came down to a low levels of serotonin, which of course then uh, influenced the pharmaceutical companies to, to launch SSRIs. Of course, these studies um, have shown that there is some correlation between um, self-reported um, lack of depression and anxiety and serotonin levels. But there has never been any study that points to the mechanism of serotonin on the synapse actually causing or leading to any relief as it pertains to mental disorders. And so um, there was a paper published you know, recently in the last two months that essentially upended the chemical imbalance theory. And that has really been pretty much accepted uh, in the neuroscience community for some time. Now, serotonin is a neurotransmitter. It's a chemical messenger that goes, moves between, you know, neurons and, um, and it's inhibitory in nature. So it's often dubbed sort of the feel good or the calm or the rest and digest uh, neuromodulator. But serotonin has all sorts of other functions. It's actually primarily um, generated and produced in the gut and it upregulates the production of ATP, of adenosine triphosphate, which is what the body uses um, for energy. It is also the precursor of melatonin, which is, of course, the hormone that induces sleep uh, and grogginess. So there may be another mechanism by which serotonin addresses mental disorders, either through um, essentially helping people get more sleep through the production of, of serum melatonin, um, or potentially providing greater energy to neurons in the brain through the enhanced production of ATP, um, or, or some other um, mechanism in the gut, which is obviously known now to be connected um, to brain health through hormones, through neurotransmitters, and through um, the vagus nerve, among others. But we can't really look at the chemical imbalance theory or the biopsychosocial theory um, or genetics for the true origin of what is now 13, 14% 
of the world um, now being diagnosed with a with a mental disorder. And now there are you know um, gene mutations such as ApoE4 uh, that if you have two ApoE4 genes, if you have that allele, then you have a, a much um, greater chance at developing Alzheimer's. But this just exists very, very much around the edges. So when you take stock, we have a huge variety of mental disorder diagnoses. Many of these diagnoses or disorders share the same symptoms. The treatments on the whole have not been very effective on mass, and the prominent theories explaining mental disorders are are incomplete and don't address the root cause. And this is where Chris Palmer uh, makes an audacious uh, hypothesis, which is actually not audacious at all when you begin to think um, this through, because his primary brain energy theory, the central thesis, postulates this, that mental disorders are metabolic disorders of the brain. Mental disorders are metabolic disorders of the brain. So we have largely accepted um, in the medical community that um, metabolic syndrome leads to a whole host of physiological chronic diseases like cancer, uh, diabetes, stroke, uh, fatty liver disease, etc. And that has been accepted. But what Chris is doing is he's expanding the notion of chronic disease to include mental health, essentially metabolic dysfunction sits upstream from all of these different mental illnesses and, and mental disorders that um, I addressed earlier. Now, why is that? How is that? Well, neurons require a tremendous amount of energy to function. In fact, neurons have more mitochondria the power-producing organelles within the cells than any other cells in the body. So if you begin to think about the process of metabolism, for example, so you consume food, that macronutrients passes uh, into your gut and gets absorbed into your bloodstream, insulin uh, ushers glucose, uh, and then separately, free fatty acids, ketones into your cells where the mitochondria use it for energy production. Now, if that energy production system is compromised in some fashion, your neurons are not going to function as well. You're going to get inactivity. You might also get hyperactivity because it takes energy to turn cells essentially on or off or eventually you might get shrinkage, or if it happens early in life, you may have compromised brain development. So we know that when we um, eat refined foods or 
too many ultra processed foods or too much sugar, those can all contribute to insulin resistance. And what Chris is pointing at, among other things, is that the neurons, the cells in your brain, develop an insulin resistance such that glucose can't be properly burned for energy. And hence, neurons begin to perform ineffectively. And this can lead to whole variety of different diseases and diagnoses that I mentioned earlier, but they many of them have the same potential upstream uh, root cause, and that is mitochondrial or metabolic dysfunction. So we know that diet can cause mitochondrial dysfunction and insulin resistance. We also know that stress can contribute to mitochondrial dysfunction. So there's a whole bunch of reasons for that, but essentially your sympathetic nervous system and your HPA access, if that is stimulating an overabundance of chronic cortisol, that's gonna jack up um, glucose levels, and it's also going to inhibit mitophagy and autophagy, the body's kind of clean up and repair and recycle um, system. It's also going to produce insomnia. Now, insomnia, obviously, when you have um, too little sleep, your glymphatic system uh, cannot properly engage in repair mechanisms in the brain. It can't clean out like beta amyloid proteins, for example, that are highly correlated with Alzheimer's disease. Um, you can also get chronic inflammation that can contribute to mitochondrial dysfunction um, because inflammation is um, redirecting resources um, away from metabolism and towards inflamed regions or chronic uh in chronically inflamed regions of the body. Now, you can point to a whole variety of different uh, potential origins of inflammation. You could have infection, but many, many of us right now are suffering from chronic inflammation because of leaky gut, because of intestinal permeability, because we're consuming foods that degrade the tight junctions in the epithelium, in, um, in our colon, and that is allowing endotoxins to pass through into the bloodstream and cause high levels of inflammation, which is degrading mitochondrial function, which is subsequently degrading energy production, which is affecting neurons, okay? There's also toxins um, like alcohol and tobacco, but also environmental toxins that can play uh, a role in um, mitochondrial and metabolic dysfunction. So what you really want to focus on is upgrading and upregulating metabolism and mitochondria. You need good fuel sources. You want to upgrade insulin sensitivity. You want to promote autophagy and mitophagy, and you want to promote and activate my mitochondrial 
biogenesis, essentially the production of new mitochondria, because what you need are more energy power plants to, um, to power the neurons in your brain and, and all of the cells of your body, you know, your muscle cells as well, for example. So one protocol that you can adopt amongst many others is a ketogenic diet and an intermittent fasting protocol. Now I've been doing this for the last year. Now a low glycemic diet, low in carbs, for example, so a ketogenic diet might be 70% healthy, high grade fats, 20% protein, 10% carbohydrates. That's going to vary among genders and ages and times of your life, but essentially that's kind of the basic macronutrient uh, proportional breakdown. And um, low glycemic diets, low carb diets are going to promote higher uh, insulin sensitivity. It's going to keep glucose levels down. And you see high glucose levels associated um, in Alzheimer's, et cetera. And that makes total sense because if your glucose levels are chronically high, you're going to develop insulin resistance and your body, your mitochondria is going to not be able to properly create energy. Um, you also really want to focus on fiber in your diet because you want to feed your gut bacteria, which feeds on indigestible fiber, um, and your gut bacteria subsequently are going to produce uh, short-chain fatty acids and butyrate that will upgrade uh, insulin sensitivity, but also protect um, your gut from intestinal permeability and your colonocytes, the, the cells in your intestine, uh, the mitochondria in those cells love, love fiber. Now, if you combine a ketogenic diet with an intermittent fasting protocol, for example, a 16-8 protocol, you're going to stimulate certain pathways, pathways like AMP kinase, the sirtuin pathways that um, trigger and activate autophagy, sort of the breakdown of dysfunctional cells into their um, amino acid building blocks for then reuse in the reconstitution of new healthy proteins, okay? You're also going to stimulate mitogenesis or uh, mitochondrial biogenesis, the creation of new mitochondria. Okay, the various other protocols that I get into with Chris that are in his book, Brain Energy, are around sleep. And I've talked about this ad nauseum um, on different podcasts uh, and in different exhortations, but access to blue light in the morning that sets your circadian rhythm such that you are secreting uh, cortisol and melatonin um, at the right times of day in order to ensure proper sleep. And again, um, make sure that you are restoring and your lymphatic system is functioning um, during night hours when you're asleep. You certainly want to explore uh, stress reduction techniques like meditation, uh, anything that's going to bring down chronic cortisol is going to be uh, positive 
for your metabolism and for also for your immune system. You have to realize that when you're in fight or flight or when you're triggered um, and you have an, uh, a fear response, you are sending resources to your muscles, to your extremities. You're sending resources to up um, regulate your respiratory rate and your heart rate. Um, and all of those come at the expense of your immune system and your digestion, which sit in your gut. So if you can uh, engage in stress reduction techniques and breathwork techniques that bring you out of your sympathetic and into your parasympathetic nervous system, you're going to concentrate more resources on healthy metabolism, healthy digestion, and a healthy immune system. I mean, hard cortisol levels are, are, are correlated with um, low production of neutrophils, for example, which is uh, a key part of your innate um, immune system. And there's been many studies to, to show this. Exercise clearly plays a part in this. Getting regular exercise will stimulate, again, mitobiogenesis. So this is a fascinating new reframing of mental disorders and mental illness, um, not just as a chemical imbalance, not just as a biopsychosocial um, uh, set of circumstances, but something that unifies all of these different explanations into one centralized hypothesis is that much of mental illness is actually has its provenance in metabolic dysfunction and upstream from that or pro, you know, progressively what you're moving from is metabolic syndrome where you have high uh, blood glucose where you've got high blood pressure um, uh, etc so we may have a lot more agency over mental disorders and mental illness than we thought. And this is huge because there are so many people that are suffering that essentially write off their conditions to genetics. Like everyone in my family was depressed and suicidal or psychotic, um, or, you know, I live in a society that continually tells me that I'm not enough and that encourages me to pursue external agents to assuage my perceived deficiencies and, and discontents, et cetera. Well, what if we knew that the source of a, a lot of this suffering was metabolic and that we could focus on treatments that are here right now, we don't have to wait 20 years for clinical trials and, and pharmaceuticals. We can apply different protocols right now that can upregulate our metabolism and not only address chronic disease, but mental health. So I go deep uh, into these topics <laughs> with um, Dr. Chris Palmer, who is just a beautiful, compassionate, brilliant um, doctor from Harvard. So check him out and check out my conversation with him on brain energy on the Commune podcast.
Okay, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to go deeper into the topic of mental illness, then I encourage you to listen to the extended conversation with Dr. Chris Palmer that was released here on the Commune Podcast on January 19th, 2023. Feel free to drop me a constructive line of criticism if needed at jeffk at onecommune.com. And if so inclined, leave us a review on your favorite podcatcher. Okay, that's all from the Commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you. Thank you.